on this episode, identifying good pain and bad pain for runners. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, and smarter runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am the guy to reach out to when you've finally decided enough is enough with your persistent running injuries. I'm a physiotherapist, the owner of the Breakthrough Running Clinic, and your podcast host. I'm excited to bring you today's lesson and to add to your ever-growing running knowledge. Let's work together to overcome your running injuries, getting you to that starting line and finishing strong. So let's take it away. Today we're doing something a bit different. We have my good friend Dane on and he has a podcast called Run Culture and we're doing a bit of a improvised interview where I prepared some notes, he prepared some notes and then we just sort of collaborate together with the intent to publish on my podcast, he to publish on his podcast and then we cross-promote audiences. So together we're collaborating to build up our own podcast but you received the great content of knowing uh, Dane's knowledge and my knowledge and we all start learning together. So it's just a win-win. Dane introduces himself in his bio and I do the same and we mention our podcast at the end so I don't need to talk about that too much. What I do like to talk about is uh, today's topic. So we have identifying good pain and bad pain for runners and it's a good step into starting to make really smart decisions with your training to identify is this an injury that's going to develop and get worse or is it a pain or a symptom that I can actually continue running with and if you make that correct decision, it's going to save you a lot of time and energy, either avoiding uh, an injury that develops and keeps you in training, keeps you running, or if it is developing into an injury and you push through it when you shouldn't have, then that might lead to a, a more serious injury that takes you out of training for a considerable amount of time. So if you have this wisdom, if you have this knowledge, it's a big step into making better decisions within your training when it comes to bouncing back and getting back onto the running track a lot sooner, managing your injuries a lot better. And you can just apply this to any sort of pain and symptom that you get. So it's a really, really good one. Dane knows his stuff. He's been doing this for a really long time and working with some real elite athletes. And I hope you enjoy his company as much as you enjoy my company. So if you like his stuff, I know he does interview a lot of coaches and looks to evolve his podcast into more topics like this. So please, if you do enjoy, jump over to his podcast and start following his content as well. We start off with Dane kind of introducing himself and then we just uh, run with and take from there. So let's take it away. My name's Dane, as you've introduced me. And uh, yeah, I'm a running physio. Um, I work at Southern Suburbs Physio Centre and um, I've also uh, got um, my own sort of uh, business that I've started called Run Culture and um, I see probably now, now that I've been a physio for the last 10 or so years, I've, I've really built up my list where I see about 60% runners these days. And, uh, um, I really like specializing in treating runners and, uh, and, um, helping runners that are injured. Yeah. I think we're all, I think we're both on the same wavelength in terms of the, the clientele we see and the passions we have, and you are doing a bit of online stuff as well. Um, so I thought like, just as we're chatting back and forth, for it seems like ages now we're following each other's content. We're publishing like uh, latest research in running and the type yep. of runners that we see. And it seems like we're very much on the same wavelength in terms of the content that we know and what we're striving to get towards. So I thought it'd be a good idea to jump on and just have a chat. So um, if you're, we, we sort of came up with this idea, whoever's listening that the idea being like, we record this, you put on your podcast, I'll put on my podcast and, hopefully um, just do as a bit of a cross promotional stuff as well, but decided to come up with the topic of uh, what is good pain and bad pain for runners. And um, for the, so if you're publishing on your podcast, well, I might as well talk about me. So um, I'm yeah, Brody yeah. Sharp <laughs> and um, I used to have a podcast called the everyday running legends podcast that ran for a couple of years. And I've now transitioned to a podcast called, the Run Smarter podcast. Um, I think we'll do the the podcast plugs uh, maybe at the end. But yep. um, so in ways of business, so I graduated from physio in 2012 and 
have since like halfway through my career started running. And then as soon as I started running and saw a whole bunch of runners in my clinic, just like the passion for it, just like amplified so much and seeing runners and like getting them back to running and seeing all the frustrations that they had and the frustrations I had with my running with being injured, like um, just helped me connect and gave me a passion to get them back to running as soon as possible. And so, um, yeah. And so I started seeing a lot more runners in the clinic and then I've now moved on to this online physio business uh, called the breakthrough running clinic and very much yep. similar to you, Dane. And so, yeah, we thought we'd come together and put this, um, the good and bad pain for runners and hopefully have a few more, uh, discussion topics moving forward over the next couple of months. If, um, the listeners yeah. want to listen to more things and hear and like what we have to say, then, uh, maybe suggest a few topics, but, um, yeah, I think this one's a good topic to start with because recognizing good pain and bad pain can be the difference from having an actual injury and then just pushing on and aggravating that injury to the point where it's now like a couple of months off uh, or a couple of months of injury rather than quickly identifying it, doing the right things, then overcoming that injury a lot quicker. Uh, but then on the other side, if someone's had this good pain and totally rests it when they shouldn't be, then you're uh, not really using your training to your full potential. So um, where do you think we should start? Yeah, well, I just also wanted to say, um, like, the why I wanted to get into the online sort of world as well um, was, like, I got really frustrated just sort of sitting back at, um, at work and seeing patients once they'd already made a few mistakes or once reactively. Um, and I felt like there was a lot of avenues sort of taking a step forward and um, uh, putting information out there uh, to educate runners um, so that they were less likely to get injured and so they were better equipped at working out what good pain was and what bad pain was and they could already put in some really proactive steps um, initially so that they're less likely to develop an injury that really does halt their running um so yeah i just yeah that really uh, i suppose excited me and and that's what i've really enjoyed over the last year is um trying to trying to educate the the running community and um try to address a few of the um common sort of misconceptions or myths that i feel like a lot of runners have yeah totally Um, true and you can um, see like when you have a client in a, in a clinic room and you're talking them through their subjective and what their pain's been like and what they've done from then till now. And you, sometimes you just slap yourself on the forehead just in your mind because the, the errors in training they make and the decisions they make um, throughout that time is just like um, sometimes they're just not helping themselves. And a lot of runners, either it's lack of education or it's just like making silly decisions. And yep yeah, they're really not setting themselves up well. So the topic will um, hopefully provide a lot of information. Hopefully the smart runners out there can act upon it. Yeah. And I really think that um, injuries aren't sort of about, you know, being, being unlucky. I feel like, uh, yeah, like you go through this teething process as a runner, as you sort of get into it and you start to learn a lot about yourself, um, uh, you know, you know where, where your strengths and weaknesses are and uh and you learn about you know what you what loads you can cope with and what you can't um and it and and you do sort of have to make a few mistakes and get injured and because i suppose to get better as a runner you do have to sort of push your body and you work out where your line is and and um how far what you can get away with and, and that line's always changing i suppose that's what makes it hard um but um yeah no i, I I um I I'm I'm really really happy with um yeah the stuff that um I've been putting out and what you've been putting out and um yeah now I'm pretty excited about this topic today. Yeah, it starts with education and I thought it'd be good to start with the good pain and uh the topic around DOM so like delayed onset muscle soreness. So for those who aren't familiar with that sort of, sort of terminology, it's kind of like the pain that the muscles usually feel the day after a hard session. So either like, or doing something new. So if you're having a session in the gym, 
I think most people can relate to if they go to a gym, they do a, a class or do an exercise they haven't done before or they haven't done for a long time. And the next day that, that muscle is just like extremely sore and it usually lasts, you know, a couple of days and then goes away. So that process, it, I, I guess you could say the same thing happens sometimes with say, if you're doing a running like sprint session or a hill session and you're not really used to doing that kind of load, yeah. um, you'll experience that same amount of soreness. And I guess we're in agreement where we can categorize that as good pain because the actual process is it's um, doing these like micro tears of the muscle and it's a natural uh, part of recovery. So those little micro tears uh, need to happen in order for the muscle to repair, restore, and uh, optimally get stronger, get bigger and uh, become more resilient. So that's, it just has to go through a couple of days of being sore in order to recover. Anything you want to say about that, Dane? Yeah, so I've written a few dot points here for good pain. So, like, if you're thinking about delayed onset muscle soreness, so, um, yeah, after, like, a sprint session or, or putting on some new spikes or lighter shoes that you haven't worn before or running on the beach and you haven't run on the beach for a long time or, yeah, doing speed work and, um, yeah, you might you might pull up tight in your calves or, or your hamstrings, um, or doing a trail run that you haven't done before um, and, and your, your quads are, are quite sore. But um, the, yeah, it has to feel like um, it warms up as the day goes. Um, it, you generally can walk around throughout the day and uh, you don't feel like you're limping that much. Um, you feel like it's generally improving. Um, and um, like I'd probably like, so I know um, rating pain is quite subjective uh, and everyone's pain tolerances are quite different, but you'd, you'd rate it sort of around that uh, roughly one or two out of 10. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've just sort of got those dot points. Um, so the, the pain intensity is um, quite low. I mean, it can be um, high as you get out of bed or out of the chair in the morning, but then it generally warms up. Uh, you might limp at the start, but then it's generally getting a bit better. And then, um, you know, once you've walked for 30 minutes, you don't really feel it. Um, yeah, that's what I've got for good pain. Yeah, in most cases of DOMS, you can like get through your day, and, and like you said, without limping, you can still move around. Um, some of the characteristics I've put, I've just put three dot points, but the first one being um, the pain always comes on the next day, or like sometimes, yeah. like either one or two days later. I think it depends yep. on your um, your DNA structure or something, because I know some friends who. Uh, say they always experience DOMS two days after their their sessions where I always yep. experience it the next day. Even if I work out in the afternoon or night, uh, I'll wake up and have DOMS the next morning. So I don't know if that's just an individual sort of thing. But uh, if we're trying to categorize the good pain to bad pain, DOMS will always come on either the next day or the day after. Whereas sometimes bad pain will come on during the session or like straight after the session. Uh, that's usually a sign of maybe an injury forming. So you can differentiate the two that way. Um, do you have anything to add to that before I get to my second point? Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I, 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 like say you've done your first marathon um, or a marathon in general. Um, generally, like I reckon you can be limping around um, with DOMS until, you know, if it was a Sunday marathon till Thursday, like, you know, that good three to five days, um, something with some, some, you know, crazy activity or really strenuous activity like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I reckon about three to five days um, sometimes with severe cases of DOMS, you can have them. Yeah, I've got that. Like that, It's good that you covered that because that's actually my third point. So, like the, the start of the pain comes on one or two days later. The soreness yep. usually resolves. I've put here two to four days, but I guess it depends yep. on the uh, severity I think some people can go like up to a week if they've done a marathon or they've done something just like crazy over the top, but they can usually um, identify that in their training or in their racing. Um, so we've covered dot points one and three. The second one I wanted to talk about was like the actual location of the pain. And if we're talk trying to differentiate DOMS with injury, I am usually one to um, believe that if, DOMS would like cover mainly like the whole muscle. If you say work out your hamstrings, there's certain types of parts of the hamstring that just really tended to touch, but it's generally like the, the whole muscle belly. 
Whereas if you're trying to differentiate that from an injury or an injury that's developing, usually the injuries are around about like in the joints or like in the ligaments. And you can usually like pinpoint it with like one, one finger or something. If that's starting to develop and say it's coming on straight after a hard session and it's like just one tendon or one joint or it feels deep in the joint, usually that location can be a sign of um, like that bad pain rather than good pain. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, I, I, I'd 100% agree with that. So yeah, I, I think um, I w- I'm always a little bit more careful if um, say after a really hard hard training session, you pull up the next day and then you, you feel like you're sore in your tendon. So the en- ends of the muscle, um, probably like a little bit more gentle with what I'd prescribe um, running wise. Um, uh, like I might even say, suggest like I'll have two days off running um, if, it, if you're sort of suspecting, um, uh, you know, sort of around the, around the tendon um, rather than say in the muscle, if it's in the muscle belly, then generally um, a bit of light exercise um, is probably uh, yeah, really good for um, creating some circulation and um, help, helping the DOMS recover. So yeah. Um, yeah. I was just like last week, I interviewed uh, Rich Blagrove, who he's like the author of strength and conditioning for endurance runners. And he, we're, we're talking about DOMS and there's, a, we'll mainly talk about strength and conditioning. And one of the big fears that runners have is, oh, if I start heavy gym sessions, I'm going to be way too sore after, and it's going to impact my running. It's going to impact my training program. And, um, he has, he like busts this myth with saying, if it's DOMS, like all you need is just a, gradual warm-up if it's like quite severe you just do a light warm-up but then it really doesn't impact endurance so like you said if there's if you're suspecting that it is part of the muscle then you can usually um, allow a light session the next day if you if you're noticing the pain in the tendon that's like a muscle overload and i talk with this a lot of my podcasters identifying we're not exceeding any load capacities of certain tendons and if you exceed that load capacity, then you undergo uh, a flare up or some sort of irritation, the tendons will start getting sore and that might allow, might need to have a day off or two. So it's good making those wise decisions or at least having the education of knowing those two and then making those wise decisions in your training program can help. Um, yeah. Yeah. Make sure it doesn't it develop into something more serious. Yeah. And I, I think um, after my first marathon I ever did, um, in 2014 I, I remember um scheduling a day off the the monday after the marathon and and i remember um uh the tuesday going back to work and i was probably worse um after spending the day on the couch um than i was the day before and you know whether that was just the doms kicking in like you said two days later rather than one but uh in past marathons i've sort of just got back to work the next day and um i really felt like just forcing yourself to get back to moving when it is just sort of that muscular sort of doms. Um, yeah, it really does help um, expedite the recovery. Um, so knowing that there are some good pains that um, movement is actually good and you don't have to rest all pains is um, a pretty good point. Yeah. Uh, have you identified any like a typical training session that might lead to doms and a typical training session that might lead to injury? thought i'd throw that question out there for you <laughs> <laughs> um i probably oh, it's, i'd say it um really does um uh it's different different for everyone um but like i i know the sessions for me that lead to to doms uh when you're suddenly doing lots of um say downhill running that you and you haven't done it for a while or you're doing a lot of speed like really fast sprints and you haven't done that for a while. So, um, yeah, um, I'd pull up really tight in my hamstrings, um, uh, after some sprints. Um, uh, and then, uh, uh, the downhill running, I'd pull up really tight in my quads. Um, uh, they, they, they'd probably be, yes. When you've really just changed your training drastically. Uh, but yeah, um, I think it does depend on your training history and uh, if it's, if, if it's, um, uh, if you've done a lot of that kind of stuff before and you've built up this huge base of training, like a yellow, like a, a yellow pages worth of thickness of training, then 
you're quite robust. So I think it's more likely to lead to DOMS initially. And then if you just listen to it, adjust your training slightly, it, it settles down. But I think if you don't have that huge background of training, you sort of got like a magazine worth of training behind you, you're more likely to get injured and break um, uh, uh, with, a, with, a, with a sudden change of training. That's a good answer. Okay, just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. With that question on the spot, and I didn't even know how I would answer it, so I might have thrown you under the bus there, but you, <laughs> you handled it really well. <laughs> um, I would probably, like, as you were talking, I, I was thinking, when we, usually 80% of injuries are due to overload or like training errors. And when it comes yeah. to, if you have enough experience, usually people will know if they do a certain exercise, they'll experience DOMS the next day. And I think, um, Usually you say, okay, if I do a sprint session, I'll be sore on my hamstrings. Or if I do a downhill session, I'll be sore on my hamstrings. And they kind of know the barrier between um, what will produce DOMS and not to like really, really push hard beyond that. And if we're yep. looking at, like I was talking about that load capacity, as soon as you exceed that load capacity, you, it results in um, injury. You want to sort of stay in the adaptation zone, which I talk about in my podcast, like sometimes almost too much, but there's like the, there's these like zones. There's one of minimal adaptation. Like if you do a certain load, uh, say you walk for, you know, 15 minutes, that's producing load in the body, but sometimes that's not enough to allow the body to get stronger. But mm -hmm. if you go above that and you get into the adaptation zone, that is where all the DOMS occurs. And that's where uh, the muscles get stronger and the capacities of the tendons and joints and everything start to elevate. But once you go past that, uh, adaptation zone you, you're sort of like breaking that capacity where it starts to lead to injury so the when it comes to the training sessions you want to stay in that adaptation zone which might be sprinting which might be downhill running um, but you want to make sure that you stay in that adaptation zone don't elevate yourself into that you know past that 100% capacity zone and it would depend on the joints it would depend on the ligaments it would depend on the capacity of any individual uh, component in the body and so uh, it's all about knowing like what how strong you are what you're capable of and sometimes if you know that then it can really be the difference between getting good pain and then getting bad pain um, I think we covered that quite nicely uh, what what do you want to move on after that um, I was thinking um, yeah just going over like how do you know if something's bad what what what's um what's bad pain yeah good so uh, yeah. let, let's go through, I, I think, so if we're trying to differentiate DOMS to bad, so I think bad is like a location of like either deep in the joints or in the joints, like isolated ligaments, tendons, um, sometimes mm -hmm. around the patella. If like, it's very common for uh, runners to get like knee pain. It's very, very common. And, people don't really get DOMS around their knee. Like it's the joint, it's not really the muscle. So any sort of um, pain around the kneecap isn't really good pain. So I think if we're looking at locations and they're, um, it's quite a common one. And then just, I guess we can talk about the irritability, like the irritability behaviors. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like I, I think uh, if you've got sort of a constant, pain overnight uh, um, or at rest. Uh, so you're not even moving, but you're still feeling the pain. Yeah, that's a good uh, one. Yeah. Uh, if you're limping all day, so even it doesn't warm up, um, it doesn't seem to get better. You just seem to limp all day um, uh, throughout the whole day. It's perhaps worsening as the day goes. It gets sore with exercise. It doesn't warm up with exercise. And uh, your range of movement, um, uh, is reduced in some way around the area that it's sore. So, you know, say if it's a sore knee or foot, you don't feel like you can move it like you normally can. Um, uh, it just generally slows you down. Um, and 
and uh, yeah, occasionally it's it's quite sharp. Uh, sharp yeah, thing. definitely. I think uh, what you talked about with movement, usually doms like the as soon as you, sitting still, you usually be fine. Then as soon as you go about, oh, and you start to like you know stretch around, it's like a really sore as soon as you start getting up and moving. Um, but if you are just sitting still or lying still, lying in bed, and you're noticing like a throb or an ache usually a sign of like inflammatory processes going on, which doesn't really occur with DOM. So that's a really good point and affecting biomechanics. So if you yep. start, a, like if you feel like you have DOMS and the next day you want to do like a light session, which is recommended and you notice that after your light warm up and as soon as you get into your run, if you feel like you're a bit off with your running, then definitely don't push on beyond that because you're going to start putting load on other parts of the body and either aggravating the area that's already sore, but also increasing loads and um, shifting loads to other areas that probably can't tolerate it. I had a patient like last week who she sent me her, um, she sent me running videos for me to analyze and yeah. I was mainly seeing her for her knees, but um, she did like casually mention some calf tightness and I had a look at her running and on her like good side, she was impacting with her, like her forefoot. And then on the other yeah. side, she was impacting with her heel and she didn't even realize yeah. it. I'm like, why are you, why are you, when I slowed it down, sort of went frame by frame, I'm like you're contacting your heel on the other side. Um, why do you think you're doing that? And she's like, Oh, I don't know. It might be my calf tightness. And turns out she had a calf strain and was just altering her <laughs> biomechanics so that she um, didn't like, produce pain she's like oh no it's fine when i'm running but when i walk it's tight and so she didn't even realize that her biomechanics were altered and so having that really good in-depth like awareness around how you're running can be a really big point yeah yeah no definitely um and then like some of the bad pains that i'd really be um just conscious of um and then you know perhaps sort of making you want to get uh get onto it um quickly or um or get a diagnosis um or not run that day is if you suspect the pain is uh you know on the bone um so you're sort of prodding around and you know it's close closer to the bone um you, you might want to um get that diagnosed uh um and at least give it a, a um, a day or two um, to see what happens and settles down and and probably um, yeah uh, shin shin splints are sometimes a slow one that uh, if you you're um, uh, not um, sort of um, responsive at the start they can sort of drag out um, and then yeah just the tendons the tendon tendon pain and the plantar fascia pain which is the the arch of your foot um, in the heel of your foot um, so they're probably the bad pains that. Um, I, I feel like you you may want to um, stop your running and and get a diagnosis first before you decide what to do. Yeah, for sure. I think if anyone's feeling like starting to get sore and they're they're sore either in the bone, shin splints, or plantar fascia, then uh, really need to take some smart decisions in the next couple of days to avoid the the injury getting worse. That's that's very good. Um, I also I thought I'd mention like there is some bad pain that might not be too serious. Like if someone's run their marathon for the first time, let's just say their um, buildup isn't as expected. Like they've maybe had an injury when they're doing their buildup. So they haven't really fully committed to their, their training sessions and they've maybe built up to 30 K or something. And then they go and do a marathon. Yeah. Like the, the joints will be sore the next day. Like that, they might even like the knees might be a little bit swollen depending on the person. And you might have a little bit of plantar fascia like soreness and you can identify that there's been some obvious, you know, um, over overuse that can take like three to four days. And that can kind of be bad pain, but it's probably not too serious to actually get checked out by a physio. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, I totally agree. Like I think, like, uh, like with the, um, a situation like that, so say you had pain on your Achilles or plantar fascia, like I've seen a lot of times where if you're just really smart and then you have your two, three, four day, four days of settling down, um, they, they, they're reactive kind of tendons and they seem to just, uh, settle down, uh, really quickly. Um, so 
yeah, no, definitely um, there, there can be times where if you're quite responsive early, um, uh, it, it's not all doom or gloom and you're not setting yourself up for, um, you know, mumps on the sideline if you're, if you're quite smart from the start. Yeah, I've got this question written down, but I think we've answered most of it. And it was like, uh, can I keep running on bad pain? And what are some clear-cut signs that I should stop straight away? And I think we addressed the biomechanics, but any anything else we wanted to add before we move on? Yeah. Um, so I've got like like a few, few tests that, um, yeah, I often do in the clinic to work out, you know, how irritable someone's pain is. Uh, um, some sort of objective tests like uh, yeah just um, seeing if you know you just sort of ask oh can you can you walk 30 minutes um, and you know if, you, if you've just if you've got just sort of minimal pain but you can walk 30 minutes then then that's a good sign um, if, if you can't walk 30 minutes without without the pain stopping you then you shouldn't be running um, uh, then the, the next sort of um, thing that I ask about or, or check is that you know if someone can get through their daily activities of living so just throughout their job through their life um what they have to do and and if it's just sort of a minimal amount of pain and discomfort but they're getting through okay then that's sort of a tick there and then sort of just get someone balancing on their sore leg can they balance for 10 seconds with uh, and feel feel all right um so if, if they pass that then just get them to do some squats on that leg so 10 squats uh Check how they go with that. If that if that's going okay, um, and they um, manage to do that, then jogging on the spot for a minute. Um, if someone if someone can't jog on the spot for a minute, then they shouldn't go for a twenty minute run. Um, and then, but if they pass that, then get them you know jumping, jumping, um, doing some bounds down the hall, some hops, and if they do do all that quite well, and you're still sort of reasonably positive about it, then maybe just a four or five minute sort of run on the treadmill and uh and that's a good good start because four or five minutes on the treadmill is not not really um doom or gloom long term um whatever injury you've got so it's just a nice little gauge of if you can't even if you can't do that then you shouldn't be running um and then it sort of give you an indication of you know how many days you probably should have off yeah that's good i i can't list the amount of people that i see that are like oh they're still running and they wonder if they uh should increase their mileage or back off and i get them to go through some of those tests and some of them can't even hop on one leg because of pain or because of weakness and you think to yourself how are you running because running is like uh, repetitive like you're essentially hopping on one foot then hopping on the other foot one after the other some people just manage to compensate and i even had a guy months ago but he was uh, doing marathon training. He's done Ironmans and super fit, but his knees kept swelling up and he had like grumbling knees for quite a long time. Oh, it was just one knee and going through all a bunch of tests and he was fine. He was fine with hopping, fine with running, fine with like vertical jumps. And then I got to do like what we call a hop and stick where you stand on one leg and then you try and hop as far or like as great a distance as you can and then land and try and balance and yep. see how, how they can average what how far they can get on one side and so we did that on the good side and then we tried to do it on the other side this is the last test in like a, an hour of assessment and he just couldn't do it and i'm like why can't you do it he's like i don't know i just i just can't i'm like is it, is yeah. it sore is it painful he's like um i don't know i think it's a little bit of pain i think it's more apprehension than anything and like if yep. you he he was like just as surprised as i was and for him to do the mileage he was doing and to, for it to be such an eye opener for him, it's like, okay, you need to be able to hop and land um, confidently before the, this grumbly knee starts selling down because with the mileage you're doing, it's going to um, be putting it through way too much load. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like running is essentially just getting really, you just need to be really good on one leg. Um, like whether it's hopping single leg balance uh, or squats, um, you, you want to feel comfortable doing it and you want to feel strong and controlled. Um, and, and yeah, I, th- I think um, if you're, you know, even without pain and if you're a little bit wobbly, then I suppose you it's something that is worth trying to in, improve because I, I do think it's a good gauge of, um, um, you know, muscle balance and, and control control. And because it's such a repetitive task running, then, yeah, I, I, I think um, the quality of doing it, but 
is, is important. But then also like in terms of like working out whether you're right to run, if you can't even, you know, hop, hop on one leg and your pain, your, your pain's too sore to do that properly and proficiently compared to the other side, um, then it's, it's pro- you probably shouldn't be going out for a 20 minute run because essentially you're doing, doing a, um, a lot of hops in a 20 minute run. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I think we'll move on to the next question. So I wrote like, how do you know if you should continue um, increasing your mileage or whether you should back off? Like how do we know if someone is like a little bit sore or if um, should we put an example on, let's just say someone has knee pain and it's feeling quite good. Um, and quite stable how do we know if we can start increasing our mileage i think um so if if their pain uh during the run is is feeling quite good their pain immediately after and later that day is no worse and and the pain is no worse the next morning then and and they've done that type of run um you know you know several times and they're 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 confident that they're tolerating it then um yeah i i'd I'd look to increase the next parameter of training so whether that is whether that is um well it has to be goal dependent and uh um yeah uh but then i i I think um so say they've just got back to running then i always feel like just getting back to a a bit of a vault your, your normal closer to your normal volume or frequency of running is probably the first first step. And then um, whereas I see a lot of people just trying to go back to their normal intensity um, first. And, and I think, I mean, it's, it's different with everyone because I, I feel like sometimes with knee pain, um, uh, some people actually feel better when they're, when they're running um, a little bit faster or they're conscious of um, a quicker cadence, but yeah, I, I think in the grand scheme of things, like I generally, I try to get someone running back to their normal frequency and distances first, slowly over time. Um, but yeah, it's really governed by their pain during immediately after and the next morning. Yeah. I think we'll highlight that part. I think just paying attention to symptoms during a run and then seeing what it's like immediately after a couple of hours after the rest of the day and then what it's like the next morning. I think those time frames can be a real indicator of is your body tolerating the the load that you're putting it through or is it um is it like non is it responding with more inflammational, more pain markers? And that's when it comes to like episodes like this and having educating people to make smart decisions, this is a big one because I see a lot of people who think they have permission to increase their mileage because then there's no pain when they actually run. And so they're like, oh, that must mean I'm okay. And then you ask them, okay, how's it feel afterwards? Oh, it's okay afterwards, maybe a little bit sore. Okay, how's it feel the next morning? Oh, yeah, I'm limping a little bit, but only for yeah. a couple of hours. Um, and it's it's like identifying those, understanding those timeframes and knowing that, okay, you do a session the next morning, if you're limping or if symptoms have slightly increased, it means you're not tolerating that load. So it's good for someone to understand that. And like, I think thinking third person about the decision as well, um, because it, like all of us as runners, like, uh, like often our judgments clouded by the need to run, like, you know, whether running, you know, is used as stress relief, um, uh, uh, you know, running like definitely changes our brain chemistry um, the longer we run and it's almost becomes an, an obsession or something that we feel like we need to do each day to, to you know, to feel happy or help our self-esteem or, or feel less grumpy around home or, um, and then we do, you know, runners can get obsessive like, um, uh, and, um, you know, sometimes you feel lazy if you're, if you're not doing the runs that you normally do. So it's probably like thinking third person and, and trying not to let um, that psychological sort of aspect of the need to run clouding our judgment um, in the decision as well. Yeah, that's why some people struggle so much with management and recovery and dealing with several types of injuries. It's like an identity issue. They, they see themselves yeah. as a runner and if they can't run, then that's an attack on their identity and uh, can really be uh, a big hindrance when it comes to recovery. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. And, yep. <laughs> oh, I totally agreed. Yeah. 
Do, um, we, do you have any other questions written down that we should move on to? Yeah, I think like I, I had another, uh, like I, I sort of wanted to go over the, the risk benefit sort of analysis. Um, so like when you are deciding to, to either keep running um, or, or stop running or, or increase, your, increase your load or, or not, um, I think like often the, the individual has to be sort of taken into um, uh, the decision. And um, so like, yeah, like what are your goals? Like how long till your goal race? Like how, how long have you, have you spent training for this goal? Um, uh, have you already bought trip, like bought a trip um, to go to the Gold Coast Marathon and um, you paid for everything? Um, and it's only a few weeks away. You've done all your training and, uh, uh, um, you know, everything's booked um, and you're so invested on, in doing it. Um, have you, like, if you've done all your training and you're sort of already in that taper zone, like, would you be, like, um, reducing your training anyway? So Yeah, um, have you raised money? Well, oh, yeah, have you raised money? Exactly. Like, you've got you to gotta think of... Um, and then like, you know, what injury do you have? So like, what's the risk of running with this injury? Um, and what's the fallout? How long would you be out if you ran hard on it? Um, uh, is it just a minor injury that, yeah, you extend it for one or two weeks, but it's not the end of the world? Or, or will you be risking putting yourself out for a long, long time? Is the risk worth it? And uh, I think um, that risk benefit analysis is different for everyone. And that's why... Um, I think, um, you have to, you have to, uh, um, yeah, take all of that into account because obviously if someone's trained for a long, long time for their goal, then it means a lot to them. Um, so they're not going to want to stop, um, as easily as, or it's not going to be as easy decision as, as it is, um, yeah, um, from, from the outside looking in. I think that's a good, I think it's a sign of a good physio because you're not just treating the injury, you're working with the person and it's understanding like the importance and it's understanding the emotions they're going through and taking that into consideration before saying you need to take, you know, two weeks off, you need to slow down, you need to, uh, whatever the change might be in their training. Um, because you are, you, you do need to consider the individual and not just the injury. And when you're talking about the, the risk benefit, like the, the scale, um, yep. it makes me think about like footy players. And if we have so many footy players have these overuse injuries and get hamstring strains and all that sort of stuff. And it may, made me think a couple of years ago, like we know all this evidence about overuse injuries and recovery and performance and that sort of stuff. Why are these top athletes still getting injured? And brings up a good point what you're talking about is yeah. because okay it's a it's a risk benefit um scale you need to yeah. like for the coaching staff and the training staff they're pushing their athletes to the limit they're like okay this is the line where the risk of overuse injuries uh starts to increase significantly and below that is like uh not as you know the risk of injury is quite low but all the other teams, the teams they're competing with are all trying to push that line as well. And it's how close can we get to that line without um, these sort of things happening. And if we so manage to deal or get some injuries throughout the season, that's okay. We took on that risk. We knew that risk moving forward, Um, but it's a risk willing to, to make if the benefit is winning games, winning championships, that sort of thing. Oh, and and it's such a hard sport. Like uh, um, in, in terms of uh, knowing where that line is, because uh, like in a race, like you're really good if you know how to push yourself and push yourself to the absolute limit and get, you know, ooze everything out of yourself and, um, and have a good pain tolerance. But then um, in training, you can often shoot yourself in the foot if you're just um, ignoring all your signals and all, all the pain. Um, like you, like um, often you're rewarded if you're a bit more of a smart trainer and, and, and know when it's time to pull back um, and they're sort of at odds of each other. So like on the, on the racing side of things, like, yeah, you're, you, you're going to go really well if, if you do have that good sort of um, pain tolerance and can it kind of almost ignore pain. Um, but then on the training side of things, uh, yeah, you want to push yourself, but then it's knowing, yeah, what pain do you listen to and what pain, pain do you sort of um, push through? 
I think a lot of it comes down to experience. Um, any other topics you want to cover? Yeah. Oh, I've probably got like one, one other little case study that I have talked about before. Um, cause I've, I've done a couple of talks sort of on, on this topic. Um, cause it is such a, it is one that, um, so many people, so many runners struggle with, but it was just like, I mean, it was a kind of like a, a feel good story as a physio. Um, I, I treated this little, um, little athlete. Um, so she was, a um, yeah, primary school athlete and, uh, she had the national cross country championships, um, coming up, uh, uh, she's only in year six, um, on the weekend and I saw her on the Thursday and she'd, she'd rolled her ankle two days, two days before. And, uh, she came limping in all stressed and worried because she'd been training for the last six months for this event. And, um, her mum was really, really stressed. Everything had been booked and, and then she'd rolled her ankle, um, two days before at school long jump. Um, uh, but then I suppose, uh, kids being kids, like it was her first injury ever. So it was really hard to know like how serious it was. So she came limping in and I think the whole pressure of the situation perhaps, um, made her sore or feel worse than it was because I was sort of asking, oh, okay, so were you able to keep going with sport? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I kept, I kept going with sport. It hurt, but I was able to do, you know, another three long jumps. And so immediately I was sort of like, oh, okay, that's pretty good, like in my head. And then I sort of um, was like, okay, well, let's, let's do a few tests down the hall in the clinic and got her running and she wasn't limping. Um, she looked quite good, actually. Um, got her hopping um and uh, bounding and look quite good and uh the the like the i i really sort of um diagnosed it as a minor minor strain and um she was she was running um a, a distance race on a on a on a flat course with with um a pretty uh it was pretty even underfoot so there was no rabbit holes and and so i taped her foot up um and uh the, the did the risk risk benefit sort of analysis and i was like okay well you're in great shape you're probably one of the favorites of the race um you you you're um when you've got this tape on you feel really confident and you and she did look happier with the tape on i think you can do it yeah it's going to be a little bit sore after and you probably probably um you know going to add on another week or so to the injury. So you're going to have to miss netball the next um, two weeks after doing this race and um, just take it easy for two weeks. Um, she had no races coming up um, after this race uh, for a long time. Um, she was young, young kids heal fast and she did it and she came second um, and she ran really well, um, was really wrapped that she still ran. Um, so, you know, over the next five weeks and the injury was fine. Um, and it came, came good after two weeks. So in that case, we made the right decision, but, um, initially it was quite, quite a hard decision to make. Yeah. I think, um, when you talk about the risk benefit, uh, illustrating the point that what, what do you have going on after that? Okay. We have this race that might irritate it. What's on after this? Do you have another race on in like next weekend? Do you have, uh, a bigger competition on after that and uh, weighing up what's heading in the future is a good point as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just like her age, like, um, and knowing that like um, perhaps her response was um, perhaps also associated to the pressure. Um, the fact that it was her first injury ever. So her, her pain, her pain, she didn't know what it was. It was just quite scared. Um, but then just get reassuring her. Yeah, it hurt, but it, um, um, you would like, she, like it, it was, it was the right decision at the time, but, um, yeah, they're, they're never super, like a lot of them aren't super easy. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm like, uh, and probably the only other case study that I had was, um, another lady, um, with chronic Achilles tendinopathy. Uh, so she, um, would like I saw her about a year ago and she would come in um, and she wasn't coping with hill work um, or speed work. So those two sessions seemed to irritate her Achilles for the next three days. So 
I regarded those sessions as um, overloading the tendon and, and the capacity of the tendon, you know, it wasn't strong enough to tolerate the, the, that training. But when she did longer runs or 20 minute tempo runs or fart leg training, her Achilles was fine. Um, so essentially what we decided to do was like, yeah, keep running. You don't need to stop running, but let's just do another three weeks where you work on your strength, you increase the capacity of the tendon to tolerate the harder load. Um, and let's just keep doing your long runs, your fartlets and your tempos for the next three weeks. Um, I would, I, I've, I've seen her over the last year and she, she's now doing those hill, hill sessions and uh, uh, the speed work fine. Um, it, it did take a good three months to get to that stage. And, and what we did sort of after, I reckon it was about six weeks, was we said, okay, you can do some of the speed sessions now, not the hill reps, and maybe do half the amount and run with a slower runner um, than you used to. And, um, and we eased into it. So, um, yeah, I, th I think it was, it, once again, it was... Um, uh, in in terms of like knowing how to adjust training and increase training when you've got pain, it's it's quite a a hard hard decision. But um, with her, she had to make a few mistakes to know that she wasn't coping with the higher load. And then then we just picked some loads lower than that and gave it time to change. Yeah, it seems like you're gathering a whole bunch of information, then like collaborating it all to make that decision. And there's yep. like it, within the decision process, there's this thing called resulting where people decide whether it was a good or bad decision to um, rest or continue running based on the outcome. And so let's just say for your, um, that little athlete that you were just talking about before, if she were to run in a race and increase in pain and have to hobble and like stop um, halfway through the race. And some people could say, Oh, so it was a bad decision to yeah. um, decide to run, but no, that's resulting. That yeah. And so like the, the things that you need to say is like, okay, let's not do, let's not uh, do that resulting. Let's at the time to make the decision to start running. We had all, we compiled all the information. We, we said, yes, this is the risk. This is the benefit. We're going to make the decision to run because we're um, outweighing certain factors over another. Yes, you might be sore, um, but that's a risk we're willing to take. So just because you attempt to run a run or a race or a marathon and you pull up a lot worse than what you're expecting. Um, that doesn't mean that it was the, the bad decision. If we knew all the factors at the start. That's all that we could ever know. We're not too sure how you're going to respond, but as long as we gather all that information and then uh, as long as the athlete is aware of the risk and benefits and they fully comprehend that and they can make the informed decision, um, then that's the right way to go forward. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and sometimes, yeah. You, you have to make those little little mistakes to um, learn. And as long as you do learn, it's just like I see so many people not learning um, and just keeping on um, sort of um, either, either like butting their heads and keeping on trying to keep going or, um, or, or, or giving up and thinking they can't do it ever, any, anymore or they can't do it. Like, mm. like I'd have to stop. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I think we'll, we'll move on. I, I did want to talk about stress fractures in this good, bad sort of pain because stress fractures are always, or most times the exception to some of these rules. But um, I think I'll just touch on it briefly and just let people know like the common areas. If we're looking at location and what is bad pain, some real common areas for stress fractures. And um, one of the most common being around the foot, one being on the shin, like it can be at the front of the shin or the back of the shin. So if, um, like you were talking about before, Dane, if there's like bony tenderness, um, also deep in the hip and also like, um, your sacrum. So like around kind of near your tailbone, back of the pelvis area, uh, some common areas for, uh, stress fractures and can be quite serious needs to be managed very seriously. And I know the, diagnosis that when someone eventually reaches the diagnosis of stress fracture it averages to be about three months of having that that symptom before it is accurately diagnosed so stress fractures are diagnosed really really far down the track and sometimes it's really hard to manage in those time frames but just make sure we keep in mind when it comes to location of the pain that um, they can be quite common anything you want to add to that yeah, no, yeah that's a really valid point bro because um like they 
because they're not always sharp pain and, and sometimes they're dull um, and they're gradual in onset and often can sort of occasion, occasionally sort of occur spontaneously. Yeah. And sometimes, well, usually would uh, be led on by uh, increase in load, but sometimes it doesn't even need to be that. Sometimes if your recovery is inadequate or if your diet or sleep is inadequate and you still maintain that same load, you can still get these bony overuse injuries. So it's um, really important to pay attention to that. And if symptoms aren't resolving, then definitely get it checked out and see a physio before um, doing anything too drastic to get a, a diagnosis. But um, usually they might send you for a bone scan or something if they're suspecting a stress fracture. Yeah, definitely. So if it's, if it's just not getting better and it's just lingering and, um, yeah, you know, um, yeah, it's it, like it's just hanging around, then, yeah, definitely that's a good warning sign to get it checked out. Yeah. Let me do a bit of a recap. Is there anything you want to touch on any points we needed to make before we close up? No, no, I think we did a really good job um, about covering sort of, yeah, good and bad pain and, and then just uh, some objective measures of, of um, what you need to tick off if you're going to return to running and then, yeah, that risk, risk benefit sort of analysis. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll just quickly do a bit of a recap. So like when it comes to say delayed onset muscle soreness usually comes on one to two days after strenuous activity, uh, pay attention to the location of the pain. Usually good pain is like the muscle belly, whereas the bad pain can be around the tendons, joints, uh, that sort of area usually resolves within two to four days, sometimes a little bit more depending on your, uh, increase in load. Um, what else did we talk about? We talked about, so your irritability tests. So walking for 30 minutes, uh, are you getting through your regular daily activities? Can you balance for 10 seconds, squat 10 times, and then just go through those progressions of jumping, uh, hopping, that sort of thing to see if you can tolerate those loads to make the decision to start running. Um, yep analyzing that risk benefit, uh, scenario, and then, uh, yeah, just making sure that we keep an eye on, uh, stress fractures and locations with that. Cool. I think I, <laughs> I think I've managed to cover most things that we talked about today. Uh, let's talk about podcast plugs. So Dane, talk about your podcast and why people should listen and where they can go. Yeah. Well, yeah, my podcast is called the run culture podcast and I started it purely because I love talking about running and then with the idea of yeah, getting a bit more into um, educating, educating uh, runners about some um, injuries and physio topics. Um, at the moment, there's a lot about um, training and performance um, and uh, following along with a few of the guys I coach and, uh, and then also interviewing a few sort of leading sort of coaches uh, and then a few a few runners that um, I've sort of run with over the last twenty years. Um, so yeah, you can find it on on uh, um, yeah wherever you sort of listen to your podcast, just under yeah Run Culture Podcast. And I also um, uh, have a Facebook Facebook um, injury and support um, group um, called the Running Running Training and Injury Support Group. Um, so. Yeah, I've really enjoyed um, putting out um, sort of articles or, or things that I feel like are interesting and relevant for, for runners out there and trying to educate runners on that. Nice. Uh, okay. And for those who are listening to Dane's podcast right now, uh, my podcast is called the Run Smarter Podcast. And we're like on a mission to try and gain as much information as we can in order to make smarter decisions around training like injury management, injury prevention, and overall performance and recovery, that sort of thing. And yeah, you can search the Run Smarter podcast. I am on Instagram. I'm probably more active on Instagram than Twitter. So if you want to add just brody.sharp. And I also have a Facebook group called uh, Become a Smarter Runner. And similar to Dane, it's just like sharing ideas. If anyone has an injury and wants to... Um, has any questions about injuries or wants to share their experiences around injuries. And there's a lot of interesting blogs and articles and stuff about running that we like to uh, add quite frequently. So if anyone wants to go there, they can. So uh, great. Anything, any other plugs, anything we need to do? I think we did all right for ourselves. No, no, I'm, I'm enjoying um, 
reading your stuff and I think you're doing a great job, Brody, um, with, um, yeah, help, helping um, the runners out there and, um, yeah, like I, I think we've just got to keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do a great job as well and I think it's, we're like we said at the start, we're on the same wavelength with the mission that we're trying to accomplish and so collaborating is a really good idea and looking forward to collaborating on each other's podcasts and covering different topics in the future. Yeah, we'll have to work out the next topic. Yeah. Cool, mate. All right. All the best. Awesome. All right. See you, mate. See ya. Hope you like Dane's stuff. I didn't really need to do a little bit of an outro after this, but I thought I'd do an episode, at least one, or the first episode that actually goes beyond one hour. And just looking at the podcast, I've just got a couple of seconds to go. And now we are over one hour. Awesome. Okay. See you later. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Running Smarter Podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content will have on your future running. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and keep listening. If you want to learn quicker, jump into the Facebook group titled Become a Smarter Runner. If you want tailored education and physio rehab, you can personally work with me at breakthroughrunning.physio. Thank you so much once again. And remember, knowledge is power.